0: Believe it or not, after the holidays and the baptisms and missions updates and all that stuff, guess what we're going to do today? We're going to get back into our Unravel series going through the Bible. Uh, I probably need to remind you that we left off in Second Kings chapter 13. We looked at the death of the prophet Elisha. Uh, I know it's been quite a while back, but that's where we were And, uh, so the, how can I say this? The easiest way from this point on in in the middle of second Kings, the easiest way to teach through the rest of the old Testament is just to continue teaching all the rest of second Kings and then first and second Chronicles, and then just go in the order of the books in the old Testament. However, the problem with that is that the books in the Old Testament are not all necessarily in chronological order. They're grouped by type, and we'll see that more in the, in the months to come. Now, you may have heard someone teach through the entire Bible before, but my guess is they just taught book by book in biblical order. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's definitely, as I said, the easiest way to do it, but since it's been my desire to teach the entire Bible in chronological order, I have now given myself um, the horrendous undertaking of trying to figure all this out and teach it in chronological order. And from this point on, at the middle of Second Kings through the rest of the Old Testament, it is very difficult um, to try to figure out how to, to teach this, because there's a lot of overlap in the remaining books. A lot of the prophets were on the scene at the same time as other prophets, or partially the same time, and so you know the struggle is how do you correctly teach that? Because to do it, you have to really jump all over the place. Uh, regardless, I've committed to do this, and um, so we're going to um, we're co- going to kind of bookmark our place in Second Kings today and we're going to step out and begin looking at the prophets who were ministering at that time or beginning at that time. Um, Now, I'll give you an example. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we'll see a familiar name pop up here that maybe is kind of unexpected at this point in the narrative. 2 Kings 14, 25 says, he, that's referring to King Jeroboam II, it says, he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah. How about that? The son of Amittai. Um, now, so here's, here's Jonah suddenly appearing right in the middle of Second Kings, even though the actual book of Jonah doesn't come until 20 books later. In the Old Testament, because it's grouped together with a specific group of prophets, and I'll explain all that down the road. So, we're gonna kind of hold our place today for a couple of months maybe in 2 Kings, just make a mental bookmark of where we are, and we're gonna start looking at the prophets who were ministering during that time, and then later on we'll come back to 2 Kings and we'll pick up right here. We'll do a little bit, we'll jump back out and look at the prophets. Um, It's not an easy way to do it, but but here's what I think. I believe doing it this way will bring the people and events together in a way that will be incredibly meaningful for all of us, and that's that's my goal. So this morning, I'm excited to ask you to turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. God willing, uh, if the creek don't rise, we're... (laughs) We're going to take the next four Sundays to look at this little book of Jonah. Four tiny chapters, but boy, this book is loaded with uh, tremendous personal application for all of us. And uh, I pray that we will hear this old familiar story, perhaps in a brand new way. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, great not meaning wonderful, great meaning huge, powerful, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. What an interesting statement. So we read that, and we we recognize right off the bat, there was no confusion about what God asked Jonah to do. This was, this was not unclear. He said, arise, in other words, get off your rear end, get off the couch, i got something for you, go to Nineveh, very clear, and cry out against it, call them out for their sin. Why? Well, we'll see this later in the book. <clears throat> it's because God wanted to forgive those people of their sin. That's why. And, you know, most people think that the book of Jonah is about a fish, I can tell you that's not the theme of Jonah. The book of Jonah, if you want to jot this down and you'll see this unfolding over the next three Sundays, the book of Jonah is all about the gracious, loving, compassionate, merciful, forgiving heart of God. That's what it's about. Well, just a quick history here, Nineveh, we've heard that name, but we need to, I think, understand what Jonah was called to go and do here. He wasn't called to go to Greer. He wasn't called to go to Spartanburg. Nineveh, uh, this this was a problem. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Now, not Syria. Syria was right there, but then above that, you have Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. A city had been around forever. Uh, If you look quickly at Genesis chapter 10, it says this, Nimrod became mighty on the earth. He went to Assyria and built Nineveh all the way back there in Genesis chapter 10. Nineveh was a massive, intimidating, imposing fortress surrounded by enormous walls and towers. It was the largest city in the world at that time. Now, they've, for, for centuries, they never found Nineveh, and everybody said the Bible was wrong, until they found Nineveh. I've brought some pictures here. You can see what it looks like today. Those are some of the walls they've discovered. Now, the ground level there, they haven't even dug all the way down to the base of those walls. Those walls are enormous from what we're told in history. But there it is today. It's in uh, Mosul, Iraq. You hear about that on the news sometimes. That's what it looks like today. And then the next slide, you'll see some of the artifacts they found, which are currently in the British Museum. All of those things came From Nineveh. It was a very real place. The Bible was accurate once again. Now, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, were known for their unspeakable cruelty, especially to prisoners of war, like things that I would be ashamed and I would blush to tell you about here that they did to their prisoners. The book of Nahum, anybody been reading Nahum this week? For Nahum, he's pretty much overlooked. <laughs> Nahum chapter 3, verse 1, he's writing about Nineveh, and he says this Woe to that bloody city! It is full of lies and robbery. Horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. There's a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. Sounds like a great place. <sighs> The Ninevites were, the Assyrians were so feared that history tells us that small villages would actually commit mass suicide rather than to be taken captive by the Assyrians. And to get a little more specific, in Jonah's day, the Assyrians were Israel's worst enemy. They were a growing threat, and in years to come, Assyria would, in fact, go and obliterate Israel way down the road. And that's exactly where God sent Jonah to go and preach the gospel to those murderous pagans because God loved them and wanted them to be forgiven. Here's the problem with this whole book. Jonah didn't want them to be forgiven. Jonah hated them. As a matter of fact, it could have been considered treason for Jonah to go there and offer any kind of help or salvation. Jonah didn't think they deserved forgiveness. And I'm not reading into the text. I'm not making that up. We'll see that in the coming weeks. That becomes very clear. So look at how Jonah responds. Verse 3, Jonah chapter 1. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. Jonah actually thought that if he ran far enough, he could outrun the assignment that God had given him. And he actually thought that if he ran far enough, he could escape the presence of the Lord. Apparently, Jonah had never read Psalm 139, which says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. It's almost like those words were written for Jonah. Now, let's read the rest of verse 3. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I brought a slide here so that we can get some some scale and some context to what's going on. I hope you can see that. Jonah was called by God to go from point A to point B over on the right-hand side. Instead, he took the route over to sea. Now, this is kind of funny because in that day, Tarshish was considered by those people to be at the kind of the end of the world, right? It's as far as you could go without falling off the edge, right? Right? And so this is clear what Jonah's doing, he's making a statement, I want to get as far away from this thing God's asked me to do as I possibly can. So we're told he boarded a ship in a place called Joppa. Here's a photo of what Joppa looks like today, beautiful little place, that's where Jonah was. He boarded a ship, it's still there today, it's uh, slightly northwest of Jerusalem, uh, a little port town there Joppa, and he sailed for Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is mentioned many times in the Bible. Um, It was known for producing rich metals. Um, It was an important harbor for trade that came through that area. In fact, Solomon, we're told in Chronicles, Solomon would regularly send his ships to Tarshish and bring back gold and silver and exotic animals for the zoos that he had built Um, So Tarshish is talked about quite often in the Bible. Now let me show you that map again, just so we can make sure we get what Jonah's doing here. As I said, God had called him to go kind of northeast. Jonah instead headed as far as he could west. He's literally running in the opposite direction of where God had told him to go. And can I just tell you, anytime you do that, Anytime you choose to run from what God has asked you to do, it doesn't matter what direction you're traveling in, you're going down. Whenever you're running from the Lord, it's going to be a downward journey. As soon as Jonah started running away, this first whole chapter will show Jonah sinking lower and lower and lower as a result. I don't know if you saw it in verse 3. Look at that again. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them. That's just the beginning. We see this over and over in this chapter. The writer's telling us something. So there he is, sailing away into the sunset, drinking a pina colada, thinking that he, he's made it. He made a great call. He's going to outrun God. And he's going to go and take it easy in Tarshish for a while. Until we get to verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship was about to be broken up. I'll just tell you this. Whenever you choose to run from God, sooner or later... Your ship is going to be broken up at some point. You will not sail forever. This verse says, The Lord sent the storm, sent the wind that was about to tear that ship up. You know, I think too many Christians are too quick to blame everything on the devil. Any bad thing that comes their way, any hard times they face, it's always the devil's fault. But folks, sometimes God will send storms into our life to wake us up and to send us running back to him. The Bible says in Hebrews that God disciplines those he loves. What loving parent would let their children run amok their whole lives without ever correcting them and disciplining them and drawing them back onto the right path? That's not a loving parent. Oh, it is in today's society. Dr. Spock and all those weirdos who tried to redefine what parenting was. Was it Mr. Spock or Dr. Spock? No, I'm just kidding. It was Dr. Spock. (laughs) Every parent disciplines the child they love. And so does God. But here's what I want you to see. Jonah's disobedience doesn't just bring a storm into his life. It brings a storm into the people's lives around him. His sin affects everybody around him. Verse 5, Then the sailors were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, and lay down, <laughs> and was fast asleep. Now, these sailors were out there just doing their job, minding their own business. But now, their lives have been turned completely upside down because of Jonah's disobedience. They are suffering the consequences of Jonah's sin, I've seen this more times than than I care to remember. Someone says, I'm going to go and do this or that. I don't care what my pastor says. I don't care what my spouse says. I don't care what my boss says. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what my checkbook says. I don't care what the circumstances or situations say. I'm going to go do my thing. It's my own thing. It's nobody else's business. I tried to word this as simply as I could And here's what I wrote down this week. I put it on the screens for you. Your business will always eventually become somebody else's business. Don't ever forget that. Your business will always eventually become somebody else's business. The problems that you refuse to deal with will eventually become somebody else's problems. The mess that you create and refuse to clean up will eventually become somebody else's mess that they have to clean up. Always. When you run from God. You're not just going to drag yourself down. You're going to drag the people around you down. How many times have I seen this in the eyes of parents whose children are breaking their heart? The parents live with that grief day and night. They carry that weight day and night. The kids think, oh, it's nobody else's business. I'm doing my own thing. doesn't matter. Oh, it does matter. It does matter. Every choice you and I make, everything we do in our life is ultimately going to affect someone else for good or for bad. Jonah is the one who caused this problem, but the sailors are the ones throwing their stuff overboard to try to fix the situation. We've all seen cases like this as well. You know what it's like to to keep giving and giving and giving and giving, trying to help someone out until it becomes clear that you're just throwing your time and money and energy away because the person you're trying to help isn't doing anything to help. What's Jonah doing while everybody else is up there trying to fix the problem he created? He's downstairs taking a nap. We've all seen that too. Everybody working hard to, to pay the bills, to keep things running, and there's that one joker who never helps out on anything. He's downstairs in the basement watching TV and playing video games all day. And at some point, that problem has to be confronted head on. It has to be confronted head on. Look at verse 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. Now, I don't have time to get into that, but that's something they did then. And the Bible says even God is involved in that. There's not not the smallest thing in the universe that escapes God's sovereignty. They said to one another, let us cast lots so that we may know who has caused this trouble that has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And what they've done here is they've, they've finally pinpointed the source of the problem. They realize this is not just a random storm. This storm has been brought on them because of Jonah's disobedience. And there are people that I see who live with constant drama, constant turmoil in their life because they've never had the courage to confront the real problem head on. Verse 8, Then they said to him, Tell us for whose cause this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, Listen to this for some knowing all the right things to say, but having an empty heart behind it. He said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Really? I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke. Jonah doesn't fear the Lord, but he knows all the Christian stuff to say. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. how they know that? Because he had told them. It's bizarre. So now everybody knows that Jonah is the cause of the trouble, but how are they going to fix it? Well, verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? for the sea was growing rougher and rougher. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now, here's what I want to know at this point. Why is Jonah trying to get somebody else to do what he can do himself? Why does he want to make them pick him up and throw him overboard? Why didn't he just go jump overboard? In your life, there will always be somebody waiting for you to do things that they ought to do themselves. There's always somebody who wants everybody else to fix their problems for them. Jonah has just admitted that he's the problem, and he's told them how to fix the problem. He said, if I'm not on this ship anymore, the storm will calm down, and your lives will be saved. So I want to know, why didn't he just go jump overboard? He's standing there expecting them to take care of what he ought to do himself. Verse 13, was obviously terrified, just the prospect of doing that to someone terrified these guys. It says, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. These sailors had found the source of the problem, but instead of dealing with it, they just kept rowing. They kept doing what they had already been doing, even though they already knew it wouldn't work. And how often do we do the same thing? We know there's a problem in our life. We know that there's sin that needs to be dealt with, a habit we need to get rid of, an unhealthy relationship we need to break off, a hard conversation that we need to have, but we just keep dancing around the real issue, too afraid or too unwilling to address it, all the while hoping it'll just fix itself. If you want that problem solved, there's going to have to come a time when you make the hard decision to address the problem directly. I think, you know, I I spend a lot of time in the business world around mostly unsaved people. And here's the comparison I've made. I actually think us Christians are the worst in the world at this. I think we're the worst in the world at dancing around the real problem and just avoiding it, not, oh, let's not say anything. I understand there's a line there of uh, courtesy and, you know, all of that. But I think even in our own lives, God points out something to us in our lives, the the problem that's there, and then other people might come and confirm it, and we go, "Nah, that's not the real problem. My spouse is the problem. My church is the problem. My boss is the problem. And we never, ever get down to doing the hard business of facing it head on. Verse 14, they've tried rowing and rowing and rowing. It hasn't solved the problem. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. So clearly they've made the decision now. They're going to do something. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Let me, let me say this as, as simply and directly as I can. There are some people, some places, some habits, some things that you just need to pick up and have the guts to throw out of your life. God is not going to come down and solve everything for you. And I'll add this, if you're saved, which means you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you already know what that thing is. You don't need your pastor to tell you. You know what it is that's keeping you from doing what God wants you to do. You know what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, where you go, who you hang out with, that's keeping you from being who God has called you to be. And you're going to keep on having that raging storm in your conscience until you decide to pick that thing up and throw it out of your life. Y'all glad to have me back? (laughs) I always bring the good news. Here's the thing, folks. You have to make that decision. Nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody can. You've got to get rid of it. The New Testament is filled with this kind of language. Look at a couple examples. Ephesians 4, 22. You were taught with regard to your former conduct to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful lusts. Colossians 3. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. First of all, wow, what a statement. And no wonder the word therefore comes next. In view of that, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's your job. Put it to death. Verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Verse 8. But now... You yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. He's writing to Christians, by the way. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. On and on we could go. This is the language of the New Testament. This is the assignment given to us as Christians to die daily to our old self, to get up every morning and say, Lord, there is zero chance that I can live my life today and look like you unless you live through me. I ask you, Lord, put put my old self to death again today because it's going to rise up and take control. Put my old self to death and live through me. That's something we have to do. Well, eventually the sailors reached the point that we've just read where they, they couldn't tolerate the problem anymore. So they decided to take action and put this problem off the boat. Verse 15 that we read They picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea. And what was the result of doing what they knew they needed to do? Second part of that verse, and the sea ceased from its raging. If they had carried on doing what they had always done, they would have stayed right there in the middle of the storm. If they had obeyed an hour earlier, the storm would have ended an hour earlier. If they had obeyed an hour later, the storm would have ended an hour later. Do you understand what I'm driving at there? These things that we let stay in our life, and we wonder why there's so much drama in our life. We wonder why there's so many problems in our relationships. The longer you let it stay there, that storm's just going to keep on raging. If you had dealt with it a month ago, the storm would have stopped a month ago. But for some reason, we're so quick to just let it go on. And we wonder, boy, why is so much drama in my life? Why are my relationships all falling apart? The moment those sailors said, we are not willing to put up with this anymore. So we're going to do what we know we need to do. That's the moment the storm ended. Somebody said this, I wrote it down, I wanted you to see it. In life, you get what you tolerate. Boy, is that the truth. In life, you get what you tolerate. You're going to get whatever janky, messed up stuff in life you are willing to put up with. If you're a boss or a company owner and you're willing to put up with laziness and poor quality work, that's exactly the kind of company you're going to get. If you're a Christian and you're willing to tolerate sin in your life, you're going to get the results of that because you're willing to tolerate it. Young people, I'll tell you this, if you're you know, if you're dating someone, you've got your eye on someone and that person is treating you unkindly or speaking harshly to you, if you're willing to tolerate that, that's exactly the kind of marriage you're going to have. Be very alert to this. But as soon as the sailors threw the problem overboard, the storm stopped. And I want to say to you, God is able to bring peace into your situation in a moment. In a moment. You know who keeps the problems going? You know who keeps the storms raging? Us. And no, I'm not saying your life will be perfect and free from problems. That's not what the Bible ever says. But you will be free. You can be free from the turmoil that is raging inside your heart. That storm you've been rowing against so hard for so long, trying to fix it yourself. God can bring peace into that situation. Well, what did these sailors do when they saw God move on their behalf? Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Well, there's an understatement. And offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And then Jonah chapter 1 closes like this. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and we'll have to leave Jonah there until next week. <laughs> you know, here's, here's what I recognize from this, and you can call me a genius later for being able to spot this, but I'm just being practical. Being in the belly of that fish was not a comfortable place. It was not a pleasant place, it was not a desirable place, but listen, listen, it was the safest place Jonah could ever be. Sometimes God has to put us in a very uncomfortable place in order to turn us around, but even when he does that, we can rest assured that it's the safest place because it's a place that God has prepared for us. It's amazing, even in Jonah's waywardness, God had already prepared a way for him to get back on the right path. Don't miss that. God had already prepared that great fish to be there the very moment Jonah went overboard. I wonder how long that great fish had been swimming along beside the boat going, when's he he coming, Lord? On any day now. You know, Jonah's down there sleeping. God wants to bring him back home, bring him on the right path, just like God always wants. God prepared this ahead of time for Jonah. I would love to say that I can't relate to this story. But I can. Uh, I can relate to this very personally, sadly, to my embarrassment. Not for weeks or months, but for years, God pursued me. And uh, just kept saying in a hundred different ways, Phil, this is not where I want you to be. And I was going, but Lord, look at the business. Look what we're doing. Look at accomplishing great things. It's not where I want you to be. God was calling me to leave that and do this. And I'm telling you, I've never been more terrified of anything. And I've been skydiving. The thought of making that transition put a fear in me like nothing ever has. And I just said, God, I I don't see how I could ever get from here to there. I don't understand how that would work. And I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And months went by and years went by. And you know what? I look back and I realize that entire time, no matter how good things were going in life, there was a storm raging inside me. I had no peace inside me. I was in turmoil. And people could look at me and go, oh man, I wish I had his life. Look at him, everything's so great, they had no idea. I was breaking inside I was dying inside because I knew I was running from God's call. And I will just tell you this, if you're running from God, he will not stop chasing you. You will never reach a point where you go, finally, got him off my back. Boy, I'm comfortable now. Listen, God will pursue you into hell itself to bring you back, if that's what he needs to do, because he loves you. He loves you. And he will not let you go. And I'll tell you what, God, just to use old southern language, God tanned my hide. And basically stripped everything away from us that we had. And we started from zero. Literally, when Nick was born, I remember holding him in my arms, looking at a stack of bills on my desk. I've never been late on bills. My dad drummed this into me as a kid. Pay your bills, you know, all these things. Return your calls, all that stuff. Shine your shoes. And, and well, I, I didn't do real well on that one today. But I remember holding Nick, a new baby, and looking at the stack of bills, going, I have no idea how I'm going to pay that. Business was gone. Everything was gone. But guess what? It was my fault. I brought the storm on myself, and I brought the storm on my family. All because I ran in the opposite direction of where God called me to go. And when I finally did surrender, what amazed me was God had already prepared a great fish to catch me and to take me to where he wanted me to be. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't pleasant, but it was the safest place I could have been because I'd finally said, I surrender. I give up. I just fall into your mercy. And God took me from one step to the next, to the next. I never even could imagine how that would have worked out, but here we are. I don't know what God may be speaking to you about right now. Maybe you've been in a storm for a long time it's exhausted you it's beaten you up and you realize that's not where you want to be i want you to know god has been tracking you the whole time and he's been waiting for you and he's waiting for you right now he's waiting for you right now to reach that point where you say i am not willing to tolerate this anymore I'm not going to live like this anymore. God, I want to, I just want to fall into your mercy. And, and, and I want your will to be done in my life. I want you to do whatever you need to do. Maybe that's where you are today. I would say to you, the best thing you can do right now is to turn it all over to him in these next few moments and see what he will do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. So much that verse 17 is in chapter 1 of the book of Jonah. If you were not a merciful, patient, long-suffering, loving, gracious God, that verse would have read, and Jonah sank to the bottom of the ocean and died. But Lord, you had been following him the whole way, waiting for him, his heart to to become soft and to surrender to your will. And when he did, you were right there to catch him and bring him back. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. Even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's in a place in life, they've just, uh, they've been putting it off, putting it off. They've been tolerating some sin or some habit, something in their life that they know is keeping them from being who you want them to be to doing what you want them to do. Lord, I pray right now in this moment, I pray that person would have the courage to face that problem head on, to call it out for what it is and to surrender it to you right now. And Lord, I look forward to seeing the great things that you're going to do in their life as a result. Thank you for these moments together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from Life Point Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.